Allison. And I'm Stacy. And you are listening to the Best Together podcast. Brought to you by Blind Early Services Tennessee. And made possible by contributions from listeners like you. Thank you for your support. All right, everyone, welcome to the Best Together podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Stacy. And we are really delighted to welcome our guest today, JP Williams. Hi, JP. Hey, guys. Great to be here with you. So JP is a life coach, a songwriter, a singer, a public speaker. He's performed on the stage of the Grand Ole Opry, which I want to hear about. He's written a number one hit single. He has his own publishing company. Um, he also happens to be blind, but that is definitely the the least interesting thing about him after you hear that long <laughs> list. Um, so he's recently really turned his focus to his life coach work, and we're going to hear more about that today. Um, but we do want to delve into a bit about your kind of upbringing and just your whole life. We want to hear your whole story. So we're really excited to have you. Welcome. Ah, it's great to great to be here. Uh, love what you guys are doing. Um, it's so needed out there in the world, and so um, to be a part of it today is uh, is a true pleasure. So thank you for having. Thank me. you so much. So let's start kind of from the beginning. If you can just sort of tell us a little bit about your childhood growing up, um, your diagnosis, and what led to your blindness, um, and maybe a bit about your education, um, what kind of school you went to, all those kinds of details. Great. Okay. Well, I was born with um, retinopathy of prematurity. Uh, So I came into the world early. I was in Mm -hmm. a hurry, I guess. Uh, (laughs) My mom uh, states it. But um, So yeah, and they kind of put two and two together after I was born. Um, Several months later, I don't know specifically how, you know, long I had been uh, in in the world existing, you know, um, till they kind of put two and two together that I just wasn't seeing things um, in a very obvious way. I, I guess when I think my mom tells a story of, she would turn the lights on and off and there was just no change in my reaction. And so she was thinking, well, what's going on here? You know? So they uh, went to see an an eye doctor and let him know that um, I was going to be completely blind. Um, I think they said that I would have loss of other senses too. Like I was going to be deaf. I was going to be, you know, all these different things. Mm -hmm. Um, Blindness uh, turned out to be my only um, disability, but um, and, and from the story that they tell, they, they were looking in my eyes going, you know, his, his retina is completely detached. He, the, he cannot see, you know, mm. but um, turns out I had limited vision only in my left eye. I never had vision in my right eye, but I had limited vision in, in my left eye. And as I grew up, <clears throat> you know, in childhood and, and started playing in the neighborhood with other kids and the, the doctors were just baffled. They were like, how is he seeing what he's seeing? It's just, they couldn't explain it. Mm. Um, so the, the only perspective I have is the vision that I had at one time in, in my left eye. And it was good enough to where I could ride my bike. I could watch TV. Um, you know, I had these, I could see colors, um, vision would sort of on at random points would kind of come and go. Like I, I would be out playing and ha- would have to stop because 
there'd be like a, a I would just lose vision for, you know, uh, a few seconds and then it would mm. return. Um, and so, um, you know, just navigating the world uh, in that way uh, and learning that, well, in one thing that I'm so, so glad about um, and so grateful is that early on they started introducing me to Braille. So at the age of four, because I think my parents always sort of lived with the um, realization that the vision that I did have would eventually fade completely. They didn't know when, but they were very cognizant of the, cognizant of the fact that it was probably temporary. So they introduced me to Braille and um, I remember seeing it from a visual uh, perspective, you know, seeing the letters and the symbols and the contractions and all those kinds of things. And, uh, and then, you know, putting my hands on it and, and um, I'm, I'm just so grateful that they introduced me to Braille at, at a young age uh, because it turns out um, as I progressed, um, you know, into eight or nine years old, the vision in my left eye did start to fade. They could tell, I could tell, because I, I recall um, at one point being able to see the words on the microwave. And then, I mean, it feels like I'm probably doing some revisionist history here, but it feels like it was one week and I, I had to squint and get way, way, way up close to see the, the words on the microwave. So I knew something was up, you know, um, so they went in to get, you know, to, to, to another specialist to take a look and they re recommended something called a sclera buckle surgery, which where they try to save the, the amount of retina that's, that's remaining, that's, that's hanging on, you know, by a thread. Yeah. And, my son had that same surgery. Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. that's interesting. Still doing it today. I'm sure they've mm -hmm. made improvements, you know, but, yeah. um, so they went in to perform that surgery and the vision never returned. Um, uh, uh, and in the year, I think I had like six surgeries. I, I got glaucoma. Hmm. Um, it just, it was a tough time. I was uh, 10 years old, ended up in, um, you know, being homeschooled. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just a really, really, uh, I, I didn't know it at the time because it's, you're just living it, you know, but now that I look back, I'm like, wow, you know, for a, a guy at that age, a kid at that age, you know, what a thing to go through, you know? Yeah. And, no kidding. Um, yeah. And then, so for that, that was all going on for about a year and, um, and then slowly started trying to um, integrate myself back. My parents integrate, trying to integrate me back into the school system and, um, it just, you know, it was, that was a process and, uh, and I'll talk kind of more about that as we go along, but there was never a, a time where anybody mentioned trauma. They never mentioned, um, it was a lot of silver lining. It was a lot of part of God's plan or, um, you know, uh, we gotta be tough, you know, <laughs> a lot of those things. And I think it, we all cope in different ways. Um, but the, the, the sober judgment of the situation was that I went completely blind. Who knows? You know, <laughs> we right. can all find purpose in everything, but to name it was something that just wasn't happening back in that time. And this is, I guess, um, mid to late eighties, you know, I'm 10 years old at that time. Um, and so 
you know, uh, and, 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 you know, at that age, it's not like I'd sit there and get, like at 10 years old and go, I think I'm going through trauma, you know, yeah. and they, <laughs> you, know you know, but, um, but now that I look back and, and all the struggles I had sort of getting back into the classroom and being with other students and just flipping out, you know, just, I didn't know how to process what I was going through. You know, there's, there's a lot happening and, um, I, I just didn't know how to feel what I was feeling. And it was a lot of resisting now that I look back as a, as a kid, you know, you're not at a point in life, unless somebody works with you, you're not at a point in life where you can go, I shouldn't resist my emotions. Like now at yeah. a 45 year old man, I'm like, it's okay to feel this, you know, mm -hmm. but as a 10 year old kid, I mean, I didn't have that life experience yet. You know? So it sounds like there was no um, suggestion of you getting counseling or having any sort of therapy to help you through this? You know, I, I, one thing that, that my, my folks did do is um, they, they did put me in counseling, mm. um, but even, even then, and I, maybe, maybe I just wasn't ready to receive it. Maybe mm. they said it and I wasn't ready to hear it. I don't know. I can't recall. Um, but uh, again, it was just a lot of listening, but there wasn't, and I think, this is an interesting thing because I do remember the counselor talking to my parents a lot, you know, after our sessions or maybe going out into the hall and talking to them and not to me, you know, they're telling my parents what's going on, but maybe, you know, the, the counselor, since I'm a child, didn't send, spend a whole lot of time sitting with me and going, okay, this is, you know, this is what you're feeling. And this is, this is why. And, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I, I think other you know, people have different philosophies around that. I, I'm not sure, but if I could, if I could say anything to a counselor that that's maybe working with someone who's um, just lost vision or any, any type of uh, disability, if there's a way you can speak to the child. And, and I think kids are so much smarter than we give them credit for, you know, Absolutely. You, them, you know, it's traumatic. It, like no one ever said, it's traumatic. This is traumatic. What you've been through mm -hmm. is trauma and it's totally justifiable <laughs> that um, you would be having some problems with anxiety, with, you know, uh, concentration. And, you know, this is a normal response to trauma, what you're feeling, you know? Right. And I, I think, um, I, I truly believe at 10 years old, 11 years old, I totally could have understood that, you know? Mm -hmm. And just to say, it's okay to feel what, you, what you're feeling, it's completely, you're, validate the person, you know, validate the child and say, um, what you've been through is not easy and what you're feeling is completely valid. You know, just saying that would have just been huge, you know? Yeah, that's so important yeah. for, I think, parents to hear in addition to counselors or teachers or anyone else working with a child who's lost a sense. Mm -hmm. yeah. And JP, I don't want to jump ahead, but um, you've brought up in my mind that, you know, the idea of acceptance. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I'm curious, was, what, what role did acceptance play, like, even at that age? Was it still many years off for you? Uh, like, was it there for your parents? Is it something that, um, you know, along with, you know, naming what you were going through and, you know, mentioning trauma and anxiety and that these were normal responses. Like, 
you know, was it the role of your counselor at that point as well to help guide you toward acceptance? Or is that just a path you had to do yourself? You know, um, it's kind of like I mentioned earlier, maybe, maybe they did say something that, that, um, maybe they alluded to that point back then, but I wasn't ready to hear it maybe, but I really honestly can say, I don't recall anyone ever saying this is trauma, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think naming it just as no matter what age we're at, if you can name something, it's huge. Name it. I always say now it's like, name it, claim it, change it, you know? And, um, back then I think we, I think my parents leaned on and what I heard a lot about is, you know, your blindness is going to change the world. You know, you're going to be, you know, instead of, Hey, let's, let's figure out what you're good at. And like, if you're good at math, let's figure out you know, can you be an accountant? I don't know. You know, like <laughs> right. a path that we can, what are you good at? You know, it doesn't, I think one thing that um, is tied into disability is like this feel, this sense of like celebrity. So if you're not, mm-hmm. wonder, you're somehow a, a failure. You know what I mean? wow. I've already felt that way. Honestly, yeah. as a parent of a child with blindness, it's like, they almost have to be stellar to be accepted. Yes. Whereas I want him to be accepted for being a, just an average person, you know, that just happens to have blindness. Thank you so much. And that is so huge because a lot of it's like, if you're not up in front of a huge crowd and like, in, you could put it in modern terms, like giving a Ted talk that just goes viral all around the world about your blindness, you know, Hey, what if you're, what if you're an attorney? Uh, what if you're, um, what if you own a, a vending uh, stand? What, what if you own a restaurant? Mm-hmm. What if you work for, uh, I, mean, I mean, you could run the gamut as far as what you can do in life. And I mean, just getting up and going to work What's and taking care of your family. Let's, right. let's talk about, let's have those conversations, you know? And then yeah. if they happen to have a skill and, uh, and, and luck comes because luck, you know, when it comes to celebrity, I mean, that's a lot of luck, you know, things have to sort of fall in place, you know? But, but how, how can we talk more about those things? Like the sober reality of uh, maybe you're an, you're a tax attorney or you're uh, I mean, you know, there's just so many things, a a therapist or a counselor or, and I know so many blind people that do a lot of different things and they're nothing against Stevie Wonder. I love Stevie Wonder. (laughs) I don't think him out, but he's a prodigy. He would be a prodigy if he was, if he could see. Right. Right. Um, You know, and, and uh, you know, you don't have to wear sunglasses and play piano to, to, to be validated in this world. You know, that's a lot of pressure on a kid. It's a lot of pressure on a parent. I mean, yeah. To expect those kinds of things out of a child just because of something they were born with, you know, it's absolutely. Yeah. And it's not um, because I always tell people, you know, just because I have a disability, just having the disability does not make me exceptional. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I really, I don't need a compliment for getting up and going to work every day. You know, you don't, I don't need praise for that. It's, it's cool. You know, let's, let, I just want to be part of a team and do something, something great and, and do my job. You know, I think I love, I want to kind of emphasize that because I find that, you know, with my son, 
who's almost four, if he, you know, takes his plate to the sink or he throws something in the trash can, everyone's, you know, wow, that's amazing. But if my two-year-old does it with vision, it's, you know, okay, she's doing what a two-year-old does. It's like, okay, he can take his trash to the trash can and we should expect him to do that. And he doesn't really deserve, you know, all the fanfare for that. Um, it's, it's his reality and he's, yeah, he might navigate things a little bit differently, but it's, it's not remarkable to throw trash away. And I, you know, as far as like, don't give me praise for what I'm supposed to do. Yes. Mm -hmm. We have a home. I mean, I'm supposed to work in, in some capacity and with a job or a whatever. And I'm, you know, I, we have bills, you know, I'm pay my bills, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I you're a normal person, right? Yeah, I don't need to, you're amazing for stuff. <laughs> <laughs> JP, you mentioned on your website that one of the most frequent questions you get asked is how do you do it? And so what is your response to that? I mean, I think this has led to, um, you know, the idea that it's just, it, you're a normal person living a normal average life, but what, what is your answer to people that say, how do you do it? I don't know anything different, you know, and um, I, I do think perspective, um, I can choose how I think, which means if I can choose how I think, then, um, then I can, then I can choose how I feel. And then that leads to my actions and that leads to my result. So if I can change how I think um, about blindness for me, you know, and reframe it, then that's going to change how I feel about myself. I'm going to be able to move through the world free, more freely. And it's therefore my actions are changed and it improves my results. So, and that's, that's not just being blind. That's just a human thing, you know? Um, I will say at this point in my life, you know, we're skipping ahead, but there's been a recent, I mean, this is very recent guys. I mean, and again, I'm 45 years old and I was working um, at my job. Uh, I guess it was a few months ago. And, uh, and it just came to mind. I just, and I just said to myself, wow, going blind was traumatic. I experienced trauma and you wouldn't believe the vibration just in my whole body just wow. really that's amazing honestly and that's a very recent thing wow. yeah because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, i've never really named it there again i was raised to sort of push it away um my father you know you you asked me how did i, I believe um how did my parents process the, yes yeah my father, um, I think, processed by avoiding um, denial, um, just ghosting out, mm-hmm. uh, I think, through anger. You know, he was, he was angry. He didn't know how to process what was going on, you know. And so it was all about, you're going to, you know, you're blind, but, and I, to be honest with you, just sitting here with you guys, this is an an honest thing. I don't think he's ever said to me, you're blind or, you know, he's never been able to fully say that and to admit mm. that. 
because I'm thinking back in the archives in my mind, and I don't think my father has ever said that to me. Wow. Um, Even today, you know, I think there's just so much denial. Mm. Uh, And then also too, uh, you know, my mother uh, ended up being a single mom. um, And, and so I think a lot of, uh, and, and, you know, I'm speaking for my parents here. (laughs) They're fully dimensional people too. (laughs) I don't want to tell their story, you know, but uh, I, I, I recall, you know, my mom's just a single mom trying to pay the bills. And I think it was a lot of sort of shutting down emotionally, you know, just not, not really wanting to feel anything because she's got to take care of, she's a single mom. She's got to take care of her kids in survival mode, you know? Yeah. So, right. um, so I think it was sort of, uh, and, but my mom also, I, I think I can say this cause we've talked about it. You know, it was a lot of, um, you're special because, you know, you're blind and, and there wasn't a whole lot of go in your, if you want to be a guitar player, go in your room and work hard because, because you're blind, you have to be better than Mm. the average guitar player. (laughs) And I do think there's, there's something to be said for that. I do think, um, that if a child can know, and, and I, and I'm trying to figure out how, to uh, get this message across without causing the child a lot of anxiety because, you know, they do have children with disabilities uh, and adults with disabilities do have to work that much harder to get um, similar results, you know? Right. How do we, and and I'm posing this as a question, you know, how do we um, get that message across without just like, uh, putting unrealistic expectations right. on the child. Mm-hmm. There has to be a balance there, I think. Um, yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah. And honestly, so, you know, I have three children and my older two children are, are sighted. You know, even between the two of them, they have, one's a boy, one's a girl. They have very different personalities, very different interests. My, my daughter was, you know, early on very talented in certain areas, which, you know, kind of reminds me of Nathaniel too. Like, I think he's got kind of a natural talent for music. You know, I tell her all the time, like, that's just going to take you so far, you know, like now you're getting to a point where it, the hard work is what's going to pay off. Because, you know, there are people out there that maybe don't have the natural talent, but they're, you know, working their butt off to, to get good at X, Y, Z. So I think it's kind of just a part of, you know, maturity and, you know, growing up in a way that you, you have to learn that that hard work pays off more than, more than not, but. Um, more than the, the natural talent. Right. But, but it is an interesting point that, um, you know, it, it's difficult to even get her to, to work hard at some things because what came naturally, you know, now, now she's having to work at and it's like, oh, wait, it's a challenge. Yeah. So yeah, it's, but I, I hope that, you know, if a, if a kid is truly passionate about something, you know, learning that they have to put the work in, but I probably digress. Um. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's, 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 it's driving home for the child to be comfortable with the discomfort. Oh yeah. Maybe, 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 um, cause I, you know, I used to think, you know, when I was a kid, if something felt challenging or uncomfortable, you know, I liked easy, you know, like right. most people, we like to feel okay. 
but if there's, if there's that feeling of vulnerability, like I don't got this yet, I, I need to work it. <laughs> um, it's a very vulnerable, uncomfortable feeling. So maybe there's a way to, to drive that point home of, you know, you're going to feel uncomfortable and it's going to be hard, but that's just normal because you're human and you're living, you know, on planet earth. And that's just how, how it works, you know, resistance isn't a bad thing. Right. Yeah. I think it ties in just to the, the naming emotions and it's okay to feel them. It's okay to feel frustrated or to struggle or to uh, experience these things and all their complexity. Um, And I think as parents, you know, Stacy and I come from the parent perspective. If you do live in that space of denial or unaccepting and, you know, you don't, embrace it then you're just doing such a disservice for your child because then they may struggle with the same acceptance and yeah that's that's hard I I can't imagine what it would feel like as a child to have you know again I don't want to speak for your parents either but you know if if you had a parent who wasn't accepting you for who you were Mm. um, that would be a really tough pill to swallow as a child well and i think they're again not a blind thing but a human thing Mm -hmm. i'm all of it anytime any of us don't feel fully seen or fully heard it's it's very hard to work through you know that's Mm not you know when people don't fully see you for who you are fully as a fully dimensional person and yes you have also happen to be blind um i think the sooner parents can accept and, and really let their child know that they are being seen and they are being heard. It goes a long way in, yeah. in adulthood. And, um, you know, cause that's, that's huge. Yeah. yeah. And also from the parent perspective, um, you know, talking about, you know, embracing being in, in that vulnerable space. I mean, it really is hard as a parent that, you know, to, you know, to let my, my child with blindness, explore the world or you know like he might fall down he might get hurt he might get pushed on the playground or bullied or he might not excel at something he wants to do you know it's it's really tough as a parent to to allow your child to be in that vulnerable space you know part of me wants to just wrap him in bubble wrap and keep him safe and you know he never gets his feelings hurt never you know always excels at everything he does it's it's, yeah, it's just so difficult. You know, also, I just want to throw out that, you know, in in talking about other parents, their, you know, journeys, that there's no judgment, you know, that I know, as a, as a parent, how, how difficult it, it can be to accept. And there's, you know, there's kind of this, uh, thinking in our culture that, you know, if, if your child, uh, you know, has blindness, they were given to you because you're specially equipped mm-hmm. to, to raise them. And you know, some people, you know, need, need to believe that. And that's fine if that's, if that's what they need. But, um, you know, I've had to really kind of push away from that because, you know, there are days where I did not feel equipped, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and I, I have to be able to, you know, I have to be able to say like, no, it was, it was trauma for me too. You know, when my son went through medical intervention and got a diagnosis and, you know, I'm not, I'm not specially equipped for this, neither, you know, your dad wasn't, 
necessarily selected to, and I don't want to get into, you know, again, into people's beliefs, but, you know, specifically to deal with really a traumatic event for a parent as well. So, well, I yeah. Well, thing you say is to all the parents that are listening to this, no judgment, no shame. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I think that's a huge one. And I think any area of life, it starts with me. And if I'm being too judgmental of myself and I'm shaming myself, then I'm going to project that onto uh, people in my personal life, my work life. You know, I mean, I think that's just all across the board. So I think mm-hmm. for the parent to know this is a new experience, cut yourself some slack. Right. right. Absolutely. I talk about my parents. I love my parents. And um, I just acknowledge that they are fully human. Right. You know? mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of these conversations 30 years ago weren't happening, you know, and um, right. Uh, you got to, but, uh, you know, the exciting thing is um, we've continued to evolve and from a um, technological standpoint, I mean, kids that are coming up blind now, it's going to be a completely different world mm. as far as employment and um, uh, how you navigate um, uh, your world moving forward, how, how a child growing up you know, 20 years from now is going to be getting around is going to be vastly improved because of technology. It's already improved my life, you know, um, Yeah. better. So I really, there's a lot of encouraging things happening and advancements and, um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, it just, I think with any kind of traumatic event in life, the sooner I'll speak, I'll make I statements, the sooner I can stop silver lining and this is what Mm. (laughs) and also to remind the parents and the child that you know your emotions can't hurt you and one of one of my Mm. favorite things is pain times resistance equals suffering and um I, i just i really believe that that you know they're just emotions you know you've been through a traumatic event but it doesn't define who you are fully and, uh, and it's okay to feel these things. It's, it's what makes us human, you know? So love that you'd be a good life coach. (laughs) (laughs) I really do. I do want to back up for just a second, um, and emphasize something you said that your parents did for you, which was introducing you to Braille. Um, and I don't want to gloss over that because I feel like it's rare when there is a child who has any vision whatsoever, even if it's a teeny tiny pinhole or it's some light perception, there's this push for them to fit into the sighted world and read print and blow it up to whatever size font and kind of, you know, make it work that way because that's easier than printing things in Braille or teaching Braille, for example. But think of the harm that would have done to your life had you not been introduced to Braille at a young age and then you became completely blind and you didn't have that other literacy tool in your toolbox. And so I just, I wanted to emphasize it because I think there's no harm whatsoever in teaching a child Braille who ends up not needing it, but there is so much harm done in not teaching it to a child who ends up needing it. So I I definitely applaud your parents for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do as well. And 
I think there again, it's all about uh, our perspective around things, right? So if we can shift our perspective, you know, my father, you know, I don't, he sees the cane as kind of like, again, I'm not picking on my father. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just talking, you know, about, okay, I won't single my father out. I'll just say um, in society, they see a cane. A lot of people might think that's a, it's weakness. Mm. No, no, no. I mean, that's what, you know, you're just, you're using a tool to improve your life. It's there to improve your life, not to display weakness. And um, when it comes to Braille, I just encourage parents to, to view it. Maybe, you know, just like, it's just a new tool. It's another tool in the toolbox. Yes, yes. It, it doesn't mean that you're accepting weakness or you're accepting um, something negative by saying you need to learn Braille. And it, if anything, um, it works you know, it, 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 it's great for the brain, the visual cortex, part of your brain. I know for me as a completely blind person, when I put my fingers on Braille, it exercises my visual cortex. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a powerful thing. That's, that's not a bad thing, you know? So I think, and I, and I'll be really candid with you for the most part, because it's instantaneous, I'm listening to a lot of books. (laughs) Sure. uh, I'm using a screen reader. I mean, in my job, I'm, you know, because, the way the world works and thank God we have all there again, this technology that I'm able to do my job like everybody else. But at the same time, if you do put a book of Braille in front of me or a page of Braille, I can read it, you know? And so it's not like one negates the other. Mm-hmm. I mean, use large print, but, you know, experiment with Braille and just look at it as an educational tool. I mean, I think honestly, any kid, any child should, should learn Braille, um, just from the standpoint of it just being a good exercise for yeah. the brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that alone makes it worthwhile, you know? I'm curious, do you, um, I want to talk a little bit about your your music career before we get into the life coaching, but do you read Braille music or did you learn all your music by ear or had you, were you into music before you lost your vision and were already playing certain instruments? What? So I learned music, uh, Braille music, um, after I had gone completely blind and I learned it at the Tennessee school for the blind here in Nashville. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I went there. I went to the Tennessee school for the blind for two years. Um, so this is an interesting story. I'll, uh, I know we have a lot to get to, but, um, I was one of those kids that sort of got put on the path of like, we're just going to send him through the system and he'll get a, a certificate of attendance and move on. And, And I was put on that path at a very, very young age. I was around eight years old. And, um, and it was just kind of crazy because again, I think it was a lot of denial and, and parents, you know, my dad uh, being a part-time dad um, doing everything he knew how to do at the time. And then my mom being in survival mode, there just wasn't a big push for education. It's like, man, are you passing? Cool. Good. Okay. Are you being advanced to the next grade? Great. Okay. So, but at the age of 17, I I, um, was about to enter my uh, senior year and realized that I did not have credits to go to college. And I was in the public school system. Um, Again, this is in 1993. So this is, you know, a long time ago. But me and my father are sitting there and talking and, and we're just try exploring options. And so I was able to go to the Tennessee School for the Blind 
uh, and have, I had two senior years, but I, I got all the credits I needed <laughs> in two years uh, to go on to college. And I was able to go on to college and graduate. Um, mm. and, and, but I mean, just under the, I mean, like, <laughs> I, I was very fortunate that we, <laughs> that we stopped and observed the situation and, wow. and I was able yeah. to, and it's just, you know, uh, I had a, a, a blind and low vision instructor tell me later on in life, she's like, cause she was there during that, uh, during that season in, in the public school system with me. And she said, you know, no one ever, you know, the loudest, this is so important. I want to tell the story because she said uh, the loudest to get what they want. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, in our job, we can't say X, Y, Z the parent really has to come in and be an advocate for the child. Mm. So I just, I can't stress that enough. Um, and again, for the parent, it may feel very uncomfortable, but be comfortable with that discomfort and push through it and show up and, and make sure your child is getting what they need yes. because it's so easy to fall through the cracks, you know? That's and, such a good point. Yeah. And, it, and a lot of times for all of us, you know, conflict sucks you know, Mm -hmm. but what's the alternative is what, (laughs) you know, like options, man, if I don't show up here and make sure my child's getting what they need, then, you know, it it could, it could be, uh, it could be bad. So um, I just, I can't stress that enough. So, you know, um, yeah. So, and I think I'm picking up where I left off there. I kind of ventured off path, but, um, went to Tennessee school for the blind and then, you know, was able to go to college and, uh, get my bachelor's degree and music with a minor in psychology. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, during, while I was in college, I was playing in bands around my hometown, uh, Chattanooga. And then, um, and then, you know, started playing professionally while I was in college. And then, uh, after college, went on the road, was teaching music and, uh, and just really, just couldn't let go of Nashville. Like I, I would come here periodically and <laughs> Mike Knight and just see these amazing writers. And I just wanted to be a part of it. And, uh, and I liked performing, but the part of it that really um, kept calling to me was the creative side, um, you know, co-writing with people. I mean, you go in to an office and you clock in figuratively. It's a pretty loose lifestyle, you know, um, but you clock in and you, you know, write with your friends or new people, whoever, an artist, another writer, and you collaborate and you come in the room with nothing and then you leave with intellectual property. And that just really spoke to me. Like, how do I become, how do I, what, is that a job? Can people do that for a living? You know, it's like, <laughs> wow. so I, um, you know, I, I used to, um, man, I would, uh, cause I was living after college, I moved to the Atlanta area and I would just take a Greyhound bus or I would hop in a van with somebody or a whatever, any way I could get here and I'd get a hotel room or I'd crash on a buddy's couch or something. And um, I always use the term, it was intelligent ignorance because I had, you know, it's just like, I, I had no idea, you know, I was, I was naive in a good way, you know, because it was just enticing, just the allure of it, just, you know, Matt Nashville's like this mystical place, you know, <laughs> and, um, and then you get here and you realize it's just, it's a business, you know, and people are feeding, they're trying to feed their families and it's, uh, but, uh, 
art and commerce will there will always be a tension there i believe <laughs> that yes never fully get along but um but eventually um i was uh, dating a girl at the time and we broke up and i thought i if i don't go now i never will you know life will happen you know st start building around me and i was freed up and so man i uh found a roommate on craigslist and moved in and uh uh it's a good dude turns out <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> crazy yeah uh, and uh and just started you know um walking down the path and in the most beautiful part about it uh, you know since we're on this topic but just as a blind person moving here it was my decision um you know the, the success or failure i didn't feel like anybody owed me anything but i did i was free to pursue it you know and um, I just love the marriage of, of lyric and melody. And it, it was just, you know, tremendous. So it was very empowering. It was a really cool season. And um, not long after that, I met my wife and we got married and I've been happily married now for 14 years. But, uh, you know, and there've been, you know, the industry can be really, I know you guys know songwriters and I mean, it can be an artist. It can be very, very challenging for anybody. It's a very, very challenging uh -huh. industry to be in. Um, but, uh, but I, there's not a step along the way that I would, I would do over. I mean, it's made me who I am right now sitting here with you guys. And, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, um, and I think too, and this is something that, um, I'd like to stress to know the difference between help and opportunity, mm. uh, opportunity, there's a chance of success and failure. And that's, that's healthy. That's a good thing. And I know for a child, you want them to grow up and succeed and that's great. And they should succeed, but there's going to be failures along the way and to know how to navigate that. And with high expectations, which is where you need to stay. Um, Cause a lot of times people with disabilities get kind of put in the room with low ex expectations mm, and right. whole life, low expectations. It's been it's been my uh, biggest enemy, you know, that, uh, like I'm fighting low expectations, you know, and, uh, but uh, if you can find environments and people who are, you know, have high expectations and, and there's a chance of success and failure, it's, that's healthy um, help. And, and I think there are good forms of help and there are negative forms of help, but when help is extended because someone feels like another person is helpless, mm. always oppressive for the recipient. And so I can't stress that enough. You know? I love that so much. That is such a key point, such a key point. You know, for me, it's like, I've always wanted opportunity, not help. And sometimes if you can, when it comes to help or opportunity, if, you, if it all possible, pursue the latter, pursue opportunity, because it's, you know, mm -hmm. um, there's a big difference, you know. JP, you did humbly gloss over the fact that you uh co-wrote a song that was a number one hit single yeah. um so i just want to emphasize that too that um that, you. yeah you, you've had you've had success in songwriting and um you know, and, and it's interesting you know i i um i've had a, a number one uh, southern gospel song um uh, uh, several years back um and then i've had a lot of you know several album cuts 
And then um, with Jimmy Allen, uh, wrote a co-wrote a song with uh, Jimmy Allen and Josh London that uh, Jimmy Allen put on his debut album that uh, ended up being a, a three week number one. So um, that's, you know, that's the, that's the luck part, you know, because I did get paid to write songs on Music Row for seven, eight years, you know. Wow, so cool. On a steady paycheck writing songs. So I was very grateful for that. And then, um, to have uh, to have had you know, that success come my way, I was super grateful. Super grateful. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's and so I encouraging to me to hear um, that. You know, listening to your story, it's you know an imperfect person with imperfect parents and sometimes imperfect situations. But you know, the through your journey, you've still arrived, which I think a lot of kudos to yourself and your, you know, your chosen outlook, obviously, that you're, you know, you're a successful, you know, thriving, happy person, um, <laughs> which isn't, you know, should, that should be the norm, you know, and I, I want that to be the normal expectation for, you know, for our boys and, and everyone else who experiences blindness, you know, from birth or at some point in their life. But I'm, I'm, I'm so encouraged by it as a parent that, you know, I'm not necessarily doing everything right every day, but that's okay. You know? Um, well, and, you know, if you go back to that, to, to the success part, you know, when the song was going number one. So as I was writing on music row, um, I had a job for a, for a tech company in the mornings. So I would go in, mm -hmm. in the morning and work on, on their social media team. And I get off at 10 AM and then I'd run to music row and I'd write. And, and uh, for those of you who don't know, when you're in a publishing deal, you know, things change and contracts end. And so um, I had that part-time job. And so when my contract ended, I was able to slide right into a full-time job with this, the tech company that I work for now currently. And when that song was going number one, you know, I was sitting at work. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. sitting on an island. <laughs> um, so, so I guess what I'm saying is, you know, diversify. That's, that's not mm -hmm. a bad thing, especially in the, the modern times we live in. Um, people, things are fragmented and it's a gig economy and, um, just be open, you know, uh, yeah. say to people wanting to get into music is you want to have the dream, but you don't want the dream to have you mm. Mm. very big difference. <laughs> the way to do that in the, in an attribute of a successful person, uh, is options. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think a lot of times people, uh, don't want to try this or that. Um, because they think that it means that they're less of an artist or less of a songwriter to go um, wait tables or, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, finish a degree or it doesn't, it doesn't make mm -hmm. you any less of an artist to be open to other things. In my opinion, there might be other songwriters that might disagree with me. It's got to be, you know, there's no plan B, but um, right. I tried the no plan B and um, found myself in some very vulnerable situations. So the more I could take care of myself and not depend on my creativity to take care of me, the better mm -hmm. off, um, you know, I've been. Yeah. And that makes me think of the point made earlier about, you know, persons with blindness, not having to be a celebrity or mm -hmm. like, I, I feel like to become celebrity status. And I, I speak as someone who obviously, you know, is not a celebrity. So this might be <laughs> wrong, but I imagine, you know, people really having to put all their effort into one avenue. Yes. Um, and if you, 
you know, pursuing that and then not having, you know, maybe not having diverse skills, kind of what do you fall back on? So when I think, you know, uh, I've been reading the book, The Body Keeps the Score, and it's and I recommend it highly. But one aspect of trauma is that your worldview is very narrow. Uh, mm. And that you keep trying the same thing over and over again, even if it's not working, you see, you're trying to, you're trying to find control, you're trying to, you know, it's just, it's just something that happens in the brain. And I'm telling you another thing that happened to me when I admitted, like I mentioned earlier, you know, wow, going blind was traumatic. I mean, just, and it's not actually, but fi uh, figuratively, uh, my, my view just like just broadened. I mean, it just, mm. just to name it, just, man, it mm. was traumatic. No wonder you know, and, and so I've used religion, I've used alcohol, I've used a dream uh, to buffer, mm. to push away the reality that, yes, I'm blind. But, you know, once I finally accepted that, and, if, and, and, and it's, I think it's a process until they put me in the ground, you know, to find yeah. that acceptance. Sure. Where I'm at now, it's, um, you know, man, give me, give me the moment, the present moment, that's the only thing tangible that we have. And, um, and, and what, what do I have? Wait, who am I? Who am I? And I think that's interesting. You know, it's something to ask ourselves on occasion, who am I? And, yeah. and, um, and just be in the present moment. And, and um, yeah. Anyway, I, I could go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I don't want to leave without talking about your new career focus, which is the life coaching. Yeah. Tell us just, you know, how you got into that. And, you know, if people are interested, how they can reach out to you, all those kinds of details. Well, yes, my website is jpwilliams.net, jpwilliams.net. And um, they can email me through my website. Um, I, you know, everything we've talked about today is the reason why I've gotten into it. Um, the, 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 one of the cornerstones of the uh, training uh, institute that I've been a part of the last six months is that everyone is creative, resourceful, and whole. And to coach the whole person. Mm. And um, so that's, you know, anytime I've, I've been in a dynamic where people are walking with me, they're not trying to do it for me. And, um, and it's a dynamic of me feeling fully seen and fully heard. Uh, it's, it's been, it's transformed me, you know? So I'm at a point in life now where I want, I want to extend that to other people and, um, and to facilitate an environment where people can be feel fully seen and fully heard. And, uh, and I don't coach broken people, you mm. know, uh, and that's, you know, and I root for the people that, for my clients and, uh, it's just, I'm, I'm having such a great time and, um, and yeah, thank you for having me on and thank you for asking. Of course. Yeah. Yes. And I, I will say that we, um, in speaking with other parents who have, uh, you know, children with blindness or disability, there's a real need for, you know, therapists or life coaches that are well versed in, in that, um, that world of, you know, having a child with a disability or, you know, having a disability yourself. And so I think you're having um, that specific knowledge and um, perspective is just really, really useful to, to parents like us. Yes. That's, that's great to hear. And also, you know, I, I tell people all the time, um, I'm not an expert when it comes to disability, when it comes to trauma, mm -hmm. uh, but I am an authority. 
<laughs> mm. <laughs> so, because uh, I've been through it. Uh, yes, it, right. And still walking through it. And uh, and if anyone is ever interested, I, I would it'd be honored to to walk with you. So wonderful. Uh, you kind did of... the Grand Ole Opry before. Oh yeah, tell us about that. Yeah. yeah. Night and uh, played this song called Grand Ole Opry, and we wrote it. We kind of humanized the Grand Ole Opry and made it a person. Myself and Bobby Cumberland uh, wrote this song several years ago, and uh, it basically, like, if the Grand Ole Opry was sitting in a rocking chair, what what would it say, or he or she say, you know, about it? Oh wow! Life. I love it. And, um, so we, I, we wrote this song, and then uh, a couple of years later, fast forward, I'm I'm singing, I'm playing at a writer's night, and this person comes up and says, "Hey, my my sister is Lori Morgan, and she's having a writer's night at the Bluebird Cafe in a week. Would you come and play?" So I said, sure. And I showed up that night at the Bluebird. And um, after I was done playing the song, she said in front of everyone, I want you to be a guest on the Opry with me uh, this Friday. And uh, wow, and that's amazing. Yeah, that sounds yeah. And so I, you know, I said yes. And then I was also at the same time kind of sober, like, well, how kind is it for her to ask? And it was in front of everyone, but going to have realistic ex- expectations. You know, you just never know. <laughs> And, uh, and so, but I did check in the next week and yeah, sure enough, they're, they were planning on me showing up and so we, <laughs> good we, thing you checked in Yeah, yeah. <laughs> up that, that evening and we walked through the, the back door and, um, yeah, I got to go on, sit in the circle, um, at the, cause you know, the state, there's wood from the Ryman. Right. The, right. If everybody wants to sit, sit or stand in that circle and, and play a song. And I got to sit there and play just me and the acoustic and play a song about the Opry at the Grand Ole Opry. It was really poetic and something I'll never forget. I was taking snapshots in my mind, just really talk about staying present in the moment, just mm. enjoying every moment of that. So it was, it was really cool and something that I'll never forget. That is incredible. And like I said at the beginning, the you're, the fact that you're blind is definitely the least interesting thing about you. That story is so awesome. I love it. Yeah, yeah, check off, I got to check off a lot of really cool Nashville, um, you know, boxes and I'm not done yet. So yes, yes, you're absolutely definitely not. Well, thank you, JP. This was so great. It just exceeded my expectations. And uh, I feel like I had an idea of what I wanted to ask, but it just flowed and we sort of just had a great conversation, which is ideal. You even had your life coach hat on too, because I'll walk away from the conversation with, um, you know, a lot of a lot of tidbits and quotes and just words of wisdom from you. Yeah, when I've been posting these podcasts, I kind of pick out my favorite quote from the conversation to sort of highlight when I post them and kind of draw people in. I've got like 10 sticky notes sitting in front of me with different quotes. I'm like, I don't know which one I'm going to choose. They're so good. Yeah, really great insight. Guys, I mean, being here with you and again, I know I've said this to you before, but what you're doing is so needed. And thank you so much. I mean, yeah, thank you. We appreciate it. Well, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. I feel like we could have several uh, chapters of this conversation. So maybe we'll hit you up again. Never ends. It's uh, it's always something new to learn. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for your time. Hey, thank you guys and have a great rest of your day. All right. You too.
Do you know a family or provider in need of resources to support a child with low vision or blindness? Do you know someone with lived experience or professional expertise related to blindness who might be willing to share their story? If so, please reach out to us at blindearlyservices.org. Thank you for listening to the Best Together podcast and for supporting our mission. And please stay in touch. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Blind Early Services. Until next time.